The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. We'd like to continue our consideration of the kingdom of heaven, and we'd like to look at a few more parables from the Gospel of Matthew. We've looked at the kingdom of heaven parable of the unforgiving servant from Matthew chapter 18. And as we kind of make our way through the 19th chapter, we're going to focus on parable in the 20th chapter. But as we make our way through that 19th chapter, the first portion of it is dealing with a question that the Pharisees brought to Jesus about divorce and marriage. And then uh, we find here in verse 13, after that discussion on divorce and marriage, in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 19, then were brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. And if you remember uh, earlier in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus rebuked the pride of the apostles and said, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. So obviously the disciples let that sink into their heart and they had the exact right attitude going forward, right? So what do they do when the little children come to Jesus? Well, they promptly rebuke him. <laughs> they rebuke the parents for bringing their children. I tell you, those disciples are dense, uh, just like the Israelites in the Old Testament were dense, and just like we are many times too. So he tells them in the previous chapter, hey, you ought to uh, be converted as little children, and then these parents bring their children. And I'll tell you, if I knew that the Son of God was walking around in my city, I'd want to bring him to Jesus to have him lay hands and pray on him too. I mean, I, if I was a parent, I'd sure be doing that. And the disciples, trying to be good bodyguards, rebuked him and said, no, 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 you can't come and, and touch the, the Messiah. You can't touch the Master. And then Jesus said, suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Of such is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> so right after that, the rich young ruler shows up. And I think that we know this interaction with the rich young ruler very well. And he asks, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus tells him what he needs to do, which is to obey the law. And then he tells him, one thing thou lackest, you need to be perfect and you need to go and sell all that you have. And then the young man went away sorrowful. And we know from Matt, <clears throat> excuse me, we know from Mark's gospel that Jesus loved him. So he was a child of God, but he did not lay hold on the treasure of the kingdom. He wasn't willing. Remember those parables from Matthew chapter 13 of the treasure that's in the field? He wasn't willing to sell all that he had to lay hold on the treasure and to buy the pearl of great price. And he went home sorrowful because he did that. And then the disciples said, well, man, who, who then can be saved? Verse 25. And this applies in an eternal context and in a timely sense. Jesus answered and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So they've seen a man who was well respected in the community, this rich young ruler. They knew that he was a moral man, a good man, and he probably even helped uh, the, the poor to a degree. He wasn't willing to sell all that he had to help the poor, but he was a good man with a good reputation in the community and the disciples were perplexed you know if he can't enter into the kingdom if he can't press into the kingdom then who can and so in the aftermath of that interaction there with the rich young ruler then peter who's always the spokesman for the disciples many times for better or for worse peter said unto him behold we have forsaken all and followed thee what shall we have therefore okay so they just looked at a man that had great natural riches and he was too concerned about those natural riches and he wasn't willing to give them up to partake of the true treasures in the kingdom. But then Peter says, again, some of this pride, some of the self-centeredness coming out of the disciples yet again, this is a man that didn't follow you. 
but we have. We have followed you. We've left all and followed you. So what are we going to get out of it? What, what's our compensation? What, what's, our, what's our weight? What are we going to get for serving you? And then Jesus tells him in verse 28, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Every man that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life, but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And that statement rolls right into the parable that we would like to consider this morning. But I want to highlight there in verse 28, though, this is some language that uh, is maybe uh, concerning to Old Baptist uh, that needs some rightly dividing. When it says that ye which have followed me in the regeneration... Now, we know we don't choose to follow Christ in the new birth, right? We don't choose Christ and then he borns us again. This word regeneration, if you look at the Greek, it literally means a renovation. A renovation. And that's, that's what Jesus did in the kingdom of heaven, didn't he? You know, the Sermon on the Mount was essentially his construction plan for the renovation of worship, wasn't it? And this is what, uh, this is what it used to be. Uh, you have heard... But I say unto you, he was essentially saying, this is what, uh, we're, we're, we're not, uh, I hate to use the word tearing down the law, because the, the, the law was not uh, bad in and of itself. It had its place, uh, and Jesus fulfilled the law. But at the same time, the pattern of worship is not going to remain the same that it did in the Old Testament. No, it's going to be renovated, right? So in, the, in this renovation, you're going to have a great deal of authority. And he says, you that have followed me, and if you'll just let me use that term, this is not speaking of the new birth, that's important. You have followed me in the renovation of the kingdom. Then the Son of Man shall sit on the throne of his glory, and you shall sit upon twelve thrones, <clears throat> judging the twelve tribes of Israel, which is figuratively depicting the authority that they would have in the early church. And we see that in the Acts of the Apostles, right? They did not have the full canon of the New Testament. So the apostles set the standard. They heard the words of Jesus, and then he tells them, you go and teach all things that I have commanded you. So when there were issues, they were brought to the apostles to give the apostles a proclamation about what the proper thing to do is, which is why many people with this great authority that they had, which is why many people try to portray to be false apostles, right? To have that kind of uh, influence and authority and to apply it in a very ungodly way. And then he goes on to say in verse 29, everyone that hath forsaken houses and brethren and sisters and fathers and mothers and wife and children or lands for my sake, you shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. If you give up things for the kingdom then you will receive spiritual blessings that are much more satisfying to your soul than what you gave up, okay? That doesn't mean that you give up one acre and the Lord's going to give you 100 acres. No, this is obviously a spiritual kingdom, right? It's a spiritual kingdom, and we will receive these spiritual blessings. So Peter's saying, okay, what are we going to get out of this? What are we going to get from following you and he said, you're going to have a great deal of authority in the early church, and you're going to receive a hundredfold spiritual blessing. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And then it re, in this same conversation, it leads right into this parable on the kingdom of heaven. And... Uh, the Bible that, that I use is a red-letter Bible. I really like the red letters. It just fits my eye really well. And if you have that, you can tell we're going to ignore this uh, chapter break here at the beginning of chapter 20 because it's the exact same conversation. Uh, you can see this uh, pretty easily if you have. You can see it anyway, but you can see uh, very, e very easy with the red-letter Bible that it's in this exact same conversation in the rest of the disciples that are wanting to know 
what they're going to have in the kingdom. And by the way, I'm going to give you a good deal of authority in the kingdom. I'm going to give you the authority to make decisions under the direction of the Holy Spirit. So you need to use that properly. And we're going to find here that he is cautioning them not to view yourself more highly than you ought to think. Because at the end of the day, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Okay, so now let's look at this parable. Again, in the same conversation, the same conversation with Peter and the disciples, right after he tells them, you're going to receive these spiritual blessings in the kingdom, the first shall be last and last shall be first. Then he says, for the kingdom of heaven is like unto, and that's important, the kingdom of heaven is like unto. We're going to look at a few more parables in the coming weeks that describe the kingdom of heaven which is pointing us toward the church kingdom. But it's important to understand that none of these parables of the kingdom of heaven are dealing with someone going to heaven or someone going to hell at the end of time. This is talking about discipleship right here and right now, right? It's talking about the church. It's talking about our ability to lay hold on these spiritual blessings in the kingdom of heaven in our life of discipleship in the context of the New Testament church. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them out into his vineyard. The implication there would be at the beginning of the day, early in the morning. We'll say 6 a.m. for reference, okay? Then he went out the third hour, and Jews measured time from sunrise to sunset. So sunrise began the day. Three hours after sunrise would be the third hour. Again, we'll assume for purposes this morning that sun rose at 6 a.m., okay? So 9 a.m. So at 9 a.m., he sent out, uh, went out the third hour and sent others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. Okay, pay attention to that. First of all, he made a contract with the people that went out at the beginning of the day for one penny, and everyone else, he says, whatever is right, I'm going to give it to you. Okay, so then he goes out and does the same thing. Verse 5, he went out the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did likewise, and then he went the eleventh hour, he went out. And found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? And they said unto him, Because no man hath hired us. And he saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. So now the even was come, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, give them their wages, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, he received every man a penny. And when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour. And thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden in the heat of the day. And he answered and said, <clears throat> and he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is and, and go thy way, and I will give unto this last, even unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own. Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first last, for many be called, but few chosen. Okay? Now, I'd first like to mention there are many applications for us here in the New Testament kingdom, but we want to first deal with the Jew and the Gentile context, okay? Uh, Matthew's gospel, Matthew's gospel is primarily a Jewish gospel, okay? So when you read it, you're going to find a lot of allusions to 
the Mosaic Law. You're going to find a lot of allusions to Old Testament prophecy. Why? Because it's written by a Jew. Matthew was a Jew. right? Written by a Jew to the Jews about the Jew, about the Son of God, about the Messiah. And, and that uh, shouldn't be surprising. How does, uh, how does Matthew's gospel begin? It starts giving you the genealogy of Jesus Christ, who is the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then he, and then he takes it back to the genealogy to say he is he's the of the tribe of Judah, right? And he's of the seed of David. All those Old Testament prophecies. Also, why only in the in the Gospel of Matthew? It's only in his Gospel that the Holy Spirit uses the term the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. Well, why does he use that language just in Matthew's gospel? Because these should have been Jews that were reading it that should have known Daniel chapter 2 that we've considered many times that in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom, right? They should have been anticipating a heavenly kingdom being set up because it was the Jewish gospel. Mark is more of a Gentile-oriented gospel. Luke is, I guess we could say, a general epistle. It's written to Theophilus most excellent Theophilus, of the things most surely believed among us. So it's more of kind of a general epistle. And then the uh, Gospel of John was written to affirm the divinity of Jesus Christ due to the Gnostic heresy that came into the church in the latter half of the first century. So Matthew, Matthew is primarily a Jewish gospel, okay? And that's going to become very evident in these parables of the kingdom of heaven and this Jew-Gentile dynamic. So he's talking individually to the disciples who were going to be leaders in this New Testament kingdom that he was establishing. And I believe it's pretty evident that those that were hired the 11th hour that received the same thing as the people who labored all day, one significant application of that is the Gentiles, right? The Gentiles, they didn't have the Old Testament law. They didn't have the pedigree of uh, the lineage of Abraham or the, the lineage of, of even David of the tribe of Judah. But when they were brought into the kingdom, they're not second-class citizens. They're not second-class citizens in this kingdom. And disciples, you're going to be the leaders in this kingdom. And you do not treat the Gentiles as second-class citizens. Why? Because we are all one in Jesus Christ. And that's the same is true today. Let's go to uh, Galatians chapter 3. And if you read the New Testament, <clears throat> if you read the New Testament, you're going to find this uh, Jew-Gentile conflict and dynamic in, in almost every book. In almost every book. And this was a very significant issue in the early church because the Jews were always a little bit haughty. They always viewed themselves as better than the Gentiles. We worship Jehovah God. We weren't worshiping those pagan idols. We weren't eating uh, uh, food sacrificed to idols. We, we would never do that. You know, kind of the, the pride. Uh, we're going to go to Acts chapter 10 in a minute where Peter ends up saying, God is no respecter of persons, right? Well, what, what was Peter's uh, response when Jesus gives him uh, that, uh, that vision of the unclean animals coming down and told him to rise and eat and partake of that? What was his first response to that? My hands have never touched anything common. You know, I'm a good Jew. I've never done that. I've, I've, I've never interacted with those things. And that's the kind of attitude that the Jews had. And then God grafts in these Gentiles. And those Jews said, you know, we're of the stock of Abraham. We have all the Old Testament uh, laws. Yeah. And guess what you did? You broke it, right? <laughs> you, you know, uh, they wanted to brag about the fact that they were of the lineage of Abraham. You know, my great, 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 dot, 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 granddaddy was Abraham. Well, you want to know uh, the, the real determining factor? You didn't go back far enough. You don't go back to Abraham. Guess who, who uh, is all of our common great, 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 great granddaddy? Adam. 
right? <laughs> no, you go all the way back to Adam. And guess what? When you get back to Adam, now everybody's on the same plane. Jew and Gentiles are all on the same plane. You know, you have that dynamic there, especially very heavily in the, in the um, book to the uh, church at Rome. And you have a lot of Jew and Gentile problems in, and divisions uh, in, in the church at Rome. And then he begins the first chapter um, tearing down the Gentiles and saying you're all under sin. Then he, he uh, begins in the second chapter and then he tears down the Jews and says you're all under sin. And then he summarizes all of that in chapter 3 that there is none that doeth good, no, not one. And guess what? That applies to Jew and Gentile alike, right? So God was grafting in these Gentiles and they were not second-class citizens. He said, look, they have the same rights to the kingdom just like you do. And you need to be the people that are going to bring those Gentiles in. Uh, earlier on in Galatians, this is in Galatians chapter 2, uh, there were some that were very legalistic that were still not, which by the way, the Jews always bragged about how they had the Old Testament scriptures. Well, if you read those Old Testament scriptures, you should have been seeing the multitudes of references that the Gentiles were going to be grafted in. You know, you should have known this. You should have known it was coming if you read your Old Testament scriptures like you pretended that you did. But uh, Peter, who's supposed to be uh, the, the apostle to the circumcision, he's supposed to be a leader. But then there are some people, some very legalistic Jews that come down uh, to, well, let's just read that. This is in Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. When Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James, from the Jerusalem church, before they showed up, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew himself and separated himself, fearing them that were of the circumcision. So he knew some people from Jerusalem that were legalists, that didn't really, they had not fully accepted the Jews, uh, the Gentiles. So then what did he do? He was afraid of them. So then he changed his disposition toward the Gentiles because he didn't want to deal with the blowback of these legalistic Jews. And I love how when Paul found out about it, and this is how you, we, we talked about how you deal with problems, don't you? I withstood him to his face. You're in the wrong, Peter. And worse yet, it's not just that you're in the wrong. You're setting a bad example for everyone else because the other Jews, verse 13, dissembles likewise with him in so as much that Barnabas was carried away with their dissimulation. So there were some Jews that were still prejudiced against the Gentiles and they wanted to persecute and to uh, retaliate against Jews who were fully welcoming the Gentiles into the kingdom as equal partners. Because we were. We were equal partners. And then Peter gets a little afraid of those men and he starts changing his behavior and Paul chewed him out for it. And he deserved to be chewed out for it because... He was uh, disparaging these children of God that are equal in the kingdom. So then he goes on to say in Galatians chapter 3, uh, summarizes all of this in verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. There is not a higher tier of disciple of Christ because of your background, because of your pedigree, because of your family. When someone is brought into the church, then they are an equal participant in the kingdom just like you. And he says, neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free. I mean, these masters... Now, now, they still had a um, business relationship, so to say, a, a secular relationship. Uh, that servant was still possibly in, in debt and in indentured servitude to that person. But when you come into the church, though, I mean, you may order as the master, 
Uh, you may order that servant around your house six days a week, but when you come into the Lord's house, that servant is not your servant to be bossed around in the Lord's house. They're equal to you. They're equal to you in the kingdom. So neither bond nor free, and neither male nor female. Uh, it's just a reality in that in that culture, females were second-class citizens. Um, Bethany is typically reading her Bible in the mornings and sends me text messages of questions and such. And she always gets very frustrated with the women in the Old Testament. <laughs> because I'll, I'll be honest with you, I don't blame her for being upset with the women in the Old Testament because they were not treated with much respect in the Old Testament. They weren't. And there is no entity that has done more to lift up women than the church. I mean, this would have been, it's kind of hard for us to put this in context, how radical of a statement that neither male nor female were all one in Christ, how radical of a statement that would have been even to first century good, godly husbands and men. Because they, they were just viewed differently. But what did, what did Christ do and what did the church do? It elevated women, right? It elevated sisters to an equal plane in the kingdom. So neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, male nor female, you are all one in Jesus Christ. You know, <clears throat> when someone joins the church, there's not a probationary period where... Uh, when we meet together for conference that uh, you got to be here long enough for you to have uh, a vote that counts. And we also don't prorate um, votes in conference that uh, the people that have been here the longest have a higher proportion and ratio of, of a vote. You know, the, the people that have been here more than 30 years, okay, your count, your vote counts for five points, and those in the second tier, your count for three. But those of you that just joined, it's only, it's only count toward one point. Isn't it amazing and a beautiful fact that when someone is baptized, they are an equal part in the whole body and in the kingdom, right? When we have conference, their, their vote counts just as much as the person that has been in the church for 50 years. That's how God set it up. Every member in the kingdom is vitally important, and every member is equal. Every member is equal. And the attitude that we should have is not to try to lord over those or say, I deserve more, I deserve more respect, I deserve et cetera, et cetera. Instead, we should welcome them in as equals as soon as they're baptized, right? We welcome them in as equals. I'm thankful that there's people that have uh, done that to me in the ministry. It's the same type of principle. Uh, when someone is, is ordained, they have the same authority to administer the ordinances of the church as someone that's been ordained for 50 years. And I, I'm very thankful for men that I, that I love and I trust and that I'm very thankful for that they did not boss me around like a little bitty servant when I was ordained, they treated me. They treated me as equal. They treated me as equal. Now I wanted to treat them with the appropriate respect and reverence, and and take uh, the wisdom that they've accumulated over all of their years, and and make sure that I treat them with the same respect that they treated me. But I was thinking about this with Brother John Morgan, uh, one of my best friends, and and he almost uh, the whole time I've known him, he's been speaking and. And then he was finally ordained, and unfortunately I had a funeral that I had to go to, and it will always bug me that I wasn't able to lay hands on him. Uh, but I, I just had this thought, and I knew it, I knew it cognitively, uh, but I just never really thought about it uh, because the whole time I knew John Morgan, he, he was exercising. And then I just had this thought about a month after his, his ordination. You know what? If someone joined the church, he can baptize them next, next, Wednesday, ne next Sunday. <laughs> he can administer communion. And I just had that, I mean, I knew it, but I had, that, I had that thought of like, you know what? He can do everything in the kingdom that I can do in the sense of administering the ordinances. And, I, and that's the kind of attitude that we should have. Bring people in and elevate them to an equal status with us and bring them up, right? Bring them up with us. Treat them as equals. <clears throat> Going back to uh, 
Well, actually, let's go. I want to look at a few more verses that, that confirm the same thing. Uh, Colossians chapter 3. And again, as you read the New Testament, you will find uh, this uh, Jew and Gentile conflict and division all throughout the New Testament. And that's why you have these verses so prevalently in, in many of these uh, epistles. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 11. Where there is neither Jew nor Greek, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, skithin, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Why are we equal in the kingdom, by the way? Why are we equal? Because Christ is in, to the same degree, every one of us, right? We're all equal because we all have Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's why we are equal. Now let's go to Acts chapter 10, and we have the opening of the door of the gospel to the, the Gentiles, and we have Peter, which it's very interesting in the providence of God how he sees fit to do things. Uh, Peter is identified as the apostle to the circumcision, the apostle to the Jews primarily, but it's the uh, apostle to the Jews is the one who he uses to go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now part of the reason why he did that, by the way, I think is because in the next chapter you find some Jews that were mad about him going and preaching to the Gentiles. And they were about ready to excommunicate Peter because they had this, this uh, well, it was just a prejudice. There's no other way to put it. They just had a prejudice against these Gentiles, and they were about ready to, to kick out Peter because of him going and preaching to the Gentiles. And I think that's part of the reason why the Lord sent him is so he could come back and validate that. Okay? <clears throat> but anyway... The angel appears to Cornelius, tells him to send for Peter. Peter's there in the house in Joppa, and he sees that vision, and then he, and then he goes immediately, goes in faith uh, with these messengers from Cornelius, and they meet, and Cornelius says, we're here to hear everything you have to say. And he sees the evidences of the Holy Spirit. He sees the movement of the Holy Spirit here in this moment. And he says here in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34, Peter opened his mouth, and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. So what are the qualifications for acceptance with God? It's not a birth certificate, right? It's not a lineage. It is serving God. It's serving God. It's fearing him and working Righteousness. God is no respecter of persons. God is no respecter of persons. Okay, <clears throat> back in Matthew chapter 20, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. So he hires these first people at 6 a.m., and he has a verbal contract with them for a penny a day. And then <clears throat> he goes out the third hour, about 9 a.m., and saw other people... And he said, go into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. And then he did the same at the sixth hour and the ninth hour, which is 12 p.m. noon and then 3 p.m. Then those, there was one hour left in the day, so 5 p.m. And then he goes and he pays uh, everyone the same. He pays them whatsoever is right. Before we go any further, I want to highlight you'll notice that, that God is the one who is choosing when laborers go into the vineyard. Okay? He's the one that chooses that. And it's, it's kind of perplexing from, from our perspective, or from my perspective. Um, God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But it kind of makes you wonder sometimes, why, why does God wait till later in life to born people again? Um, when I think about the thief on the cross, I, I know that there's a reason why the Lord suffered that. It's for us to give, have that beautiful testimony of the sovereignty of God and salvation, right? He lived a wretched life with no, no hope uh, of any works of, in and of himself. And, and he didn't pray a sinner's prayer, and they didn't ask him to repent. He wasn't baptized. So I, I can see part of the reason why, why he, he suffered the, the thief on the cross not to be born again. But as a general rule, 
why is it that God doesn't necessarily call people at it, even being born again? I mean, it makes sense to me that God would want people just born again right from their mother's womb, right? That, that, that would make sense to me. Uh, that we, but at the same time, uh, I don't know the reason for that, but uh, maybe part of that is for us to have a witness and a testimony of God's grace, that this is who I used to be, this is who I am. If we all showed up uh, born again from the mother's womb, we wouldn't have much of that powerful testimony. Maybe that's an aspect of it. The point is, though, that God chooses when he calls people into his vineyard. And the, the church is consistently presented <clears throat> in the scripture as a vineyard, okay? A vineyard. Think about Song of Solomon, and he describes his church there. We went through the Song of Solomon a couple years ago. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse. Christ comes to inspect his vineyards. First uh, Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, he's talking there about uh, I planted a polis watered and God gave the increase, those agricultural references. And then he says, you are God's husbandry. You are the vineyard. And, and again, many other references to the vineyard. Uh, one of the most prevalent would be uh, John chapter 15. I am the vine and you are the branches, right? Abide in me and bring forth fruit to the glory of God. So we know that the church is compared to the vineyard, okay? The church and the kingdom of heaven is compared to a vineyard in Scripture. And we sang that song this morning. Here in the vineyard of my Lord, I love to live in labor, right? So he's, he's calling people into his church. Now, why does God in his sovereignty and in his wisdom not, not bring people in, in early? Well, uh, one of the best statements in all the word of God uh, for the sovereignty of God is in this parable in verse 15. And we'll come back to this to highlight it further. But I want to go ahead and mention it now in verse 15. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with my own? And we have to have the right perspective, right? We have, the right, we have to have the right perspective. God own, owns everything in this world. He owns time. He owns everything, and he has the right to do as he pleases with what is his. You know, uh, I don't have the right for your possessions. Now, if you ask my opinion, I'll, I'll give it to you. I can cancel, counsel you in some circumstances. But I don't have the right to tell you what to do with what you own. And God owns everything, right? God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And he has the right to do what he will, what he pleases, according to his good, perfect, and acceptable will of God. He, he has the right to do what he will with what's his. And what's his? Everything. <laughs> Everything. So it's God's will of when they're called to the kingdom, God's will when they're called to serve in the vineyard. And the first one, he says, I'm going to pay you a penny a day. So he has a verbal contract, which there are many principles of just society and economics that the Bible upholds. And here we're going to find uh, that the Bible affirms contract law, right? You make a law, you, you make an oath, and he says if you make an oath, you need to keep your word, right? And when the, the, uh, when the laborer says, well, you should pay me more than that one penny, the owner of the vineyard said, we had a contract. We had a contract. We had an agreed-upon contract, and I, I'm not doing you wrong at all. You agreed to it. I'm paying you what we agreed to, upholding contract law. But the problem comes <clears throat> from their perspective. The other groups that went out at third, sixth, ninth, and eleventh hour that didn't work as long as them, he didn't say he was going to pay them one penny. He said he was going to pay them whatever is right. Whatever is right. Well, then, when it comes time to, to divvy out the wages for that day, the people that are last come first, and they get the same amount that labored one hour as the people who have labored a full 12 hours. So now, all of a sudden, as that goes along and along, and they see these people receiving the same amount as them, their mindset changes and they start thinking that they deserve more than what they agreed to. You know? Uh, would they have had any, if they didn't know, it's amazing what a difference perspective makes, right? 
if they if if this uh, labor if this Lord of the Vineyard he gave these other people an opportunity to work he gave them an opportunity to make some money he didn't have to do that he didn't have to do that they could have sit idle all day and do you think these people that if he had not hired them they would have got zero okay if he hadn't hired them they would have got zero if they did not have knowledge that other people received the same amount as us do you think that they would have murmured against them because you either would have got zero or one penny and I hired you you worked hard I gave you one penny right what made them bitter what made them bitter they started thinking that they deserve more than somebody else they start to think they deserve more than someone else so then they start paying out <clears throat> and then everyone receives the same thing one group receives the agreed upon contract and the other people receive what is right what is right who determines what's right who determines what's right the lord of the vineyard determines what's right right so they begin to this is verse 11. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house. And they essentially say, this is not fair. This is not fair. Let's always be very, very cautious when we start talking to the Lord and complaining about what's not fair. <laughs> is that really a route you want to go? <laughs> is that really a route that you want the Lord to give you what you deserve and what's fair? No, you want to know what, what God was good to do in this context? He was good to hire you to work and pay you what he agreed to pay you, right? Guess what? If he hadn't hired you, you wouldn't have got anything. You wouldn't have got anything. And if you had, didn't have knowledge that somebody else got the same as you, you probably would have been really happy with it because it would have either been one penny or nothing, okay? But the problem comes is when they start thinking more highly of themselves than they ought to think, and they start, uh, Paul uses this language in, um, in uh, one of the Corinthians. He says, you measuring yourself by yourself are not wise. In other words, you're using the wrong barometer to determine what's fair. And in that context, uh, if you can always find somebody who you think you're better than and think that you're living good enough because of you're comparing yourself to the wrong standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. It's not you uh, running a little bit farther ahead of someone who is stumbling and falling all the time. That's not the standard, right? The standard is Christ. So then they start, they start having this entitlement that we deserve more. And don't you know that's the kind of attitude that the, that the Jews had, right? <laughs> These Gentiles were worshiping pagan idols a week ago. <laughs> I mean, I have been a member of the church for this long. These people were, were worshiping pagan idols a week ago, and I'm supposed to, to just graft them in and welcome them with open arms and have, to have them equal to me because they repented and were baptized and they became a member of the church? And Peter should have told them, yes, yes. Why? Because you are all one in Jesus Christ. There is no higher tier in the kingdom than just being a member. Okay? And it doesn't have to do with who our family is. It doesn't have to do with, with any family lineage, how much money you give to the church. You know, we can start getting very haughty about that too. I don't think other people give this much. By the way, that's none of your business. That's between them and the Lord and the Holy Spirit can take care of the appropriate conviction if someone's not doing what they ought to do. But it's very easy to look at that and say, oh, well, I give X amount, so therefore my opinions should have a greater influence when we're making decisions. Everyone has the same vote. Why? Because we are all equal in the kingdom. And the only reason that you're going to start elevating yourself and thinking you deserve more is because you're beginning to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, right? Don't you dare think that you deserve more. We know what we deserve, don't we? Praise God for grace. Praise God for mercy. Praise God for love. We don't deserve anything. 
You know what we deserve? We deserve to be unemployed and not in the vineyard. <laughs> right? Let's go ahead and get down to brass tacks. We all deserve to be unemployed and not in the vineyard. We should be gracious that the Lord chose us to serve in his vineyard. Right? And not look at others and say, I deserve more than them. And having this bitterness and dissension and murmuring in the kingdom. Verse 15, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? God's sovereign. God's sovereign. Um, think about the picture of the potter and the clay. Well, guess what? That, that potter owns that clay. Not only is he in control of it, not only uh, is he molding it and crafting it according to his will, but the reason why he's molding that clay and not a different piece of clay is because it's his clay, <laughs> right? The potter owns the clay. And guess what? The potter has to do, has the right to mold the clay as is good to him. It is not wrong for God to do what he will with his own. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And we joyfully submit to that. <laughs> Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? And is thine own eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. For many be called, but few chosen. We hope to <clears throat> make our way to the parable of the marriage feast in Matthew chapter 22, maybe Lord willing, next week. It uses the same language at the end of that. And that's a very strong Jew-Gentile dynamic too, by the way, in that parable. Um, but I want us to understand when it says many be called and few chosen, this is not talking about regeneration. It's not talking about heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven it's, and it's the church. So the way many people would apply that is say, okay, God's calling many people unto you. He, he, he wants to save the whole world. He's calling you. But... Only those that are, quote, chosen, those that are elect, he's inviting everyone to be saved. But only those that are elect are the one who are going to choose him and be saved. Well, this is not talking about regeneration. It's not talking about eternal salvation. What's it talking about? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, right? Many be called, but few chosen. This will probably make more sense when we make our way to the marriage feast where he says, look, I'm, a, I'm, I'm issuing an invitation to all of these people who should be the very impressive people in the kingdom. And what did they do? They turned it down. They turned it down. Um, but there are then, then the invitation goes to people who probably wouldn't have been invited to the kingdom, the Gentiles and other people. Then when they come in, they have the privilege of partaking of the joy of the marriage feast. So the people that are called are not those that are, there's an invitation for salvation. No, only children of God are called into the kingdom of heaven, right? The word chosen there doesn't have anything to do with, with election. It has to do with a definition that would be helpful is choice, select, the best of its kind or class, excellence or preeminence in a certain discussion. You know, you've probably heard of uh, this is the choice meat, the choice. Well, what's different about that meat and the other meat? Well, it has been tested. It's been proven to be the best of its kind and its class, right? It's been proven to be of a higher quality. Now, it would have been what these people should have done is say, I agreed for a penny. He paid me a penny. Thank you so much for hiring me. But instead, what did they do? They, they got bitter. They started murmuring. But don't you know those people? You know, I don't necessarily think that those people that got, because they, they didn't know how much, they didn't know what the master was going to do. And they didn't know that they were going to get the same amount as somebody that had been, been working for the whole day. They didn't know that. So when they got one penny, they were just happy, right? They were just happy they got one penny. <laughs> so in their mind, we're not bitter. We're, not, we're, we're happy. Why? Because we had the opportunity to work. We worked, and he gave us a generous portion. 
Now the other people, now they did work harder. That's a valid point. They worked longer, but they thought they deserved more. And what did they do? They were bitter and they murmured. Which of those do you think is exhibiting the best of their kind in their class? It's the people that were thankful, right? It's the people that showed gratitude instead of bitterness. Many be called, but few chosen. Those best of their kind in their class. And what we ought to do in the New Testament kingdom is welcome anyone that professes a belief in Jesus Christ and submits for believers' baptism and is baptized. We should welcome them in with open arms as an equal. Why? Because they are your equal. <laughs> We're all one in Jesus Christ. And it'd be very easy for us to start thinking in a very prideful way. And I deserve more than this. I, I should have greater influence because of X, Y, Z, et cetera, et cetera. If you have that attitude, you have the wrong perspective. You have the wrong perspective. Because we don't deserve anything. We don't deserve anything. As I said before, what we deserve is being unemployed with no money. The Lord was gracious to bring us into his vineyard. And we are all actually on the same plane. We are totally undeserving of the graciousness of the Lord of the vineyard. In that, in that sense, we're all equal. <laughs> I've heard preachers say in the past, uh, if you have the right view of yourself, it's hard for to be too offended, you know. Uh, if if you tell me that I'm a dirty, rotten scoundrel, you don't have any good in you, and, and you're just a horrible person, and you don't deserve anything, if I understand who I am in my nature, I should be able to say, you don't, you don't understand the half of it. That may be what you think, but I'll tell you, I'm worse than that. You may think I'm bad, but in my nature, I'm even worse than what you think. <laughs> and if you put yourself in that perspective, it's hard to be too offended over all these little bitty things, right? It's hard to think that you deserve more in the kingdom. And let's just get back to what Peter was asking. Peter was saying, remember, remember they kept arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, right? They wanted to, not only did they want more authority, they wanted more reward for it. Peter said, we want more. We want more. And Jesus is essentially telling him one more time, you have the wrong perspective. You have the wrong perspective. You are all equal in the kingdom. And the reason you're equal in the kingdom is because we are all, first of all, equal in total depravity, right? And we are all equal in salvation by grace alone. We're all equal with Jesus Christ residing inside of us. And that's the only determining factor that matters is that we are all one in Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.